0: Welcome to Odeon Capital Conversations on all things money and markets with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van allstein And here is your host, John Aiden Byrne.
1: On this episode of Odeon Capital Conversations, we look at the outcome of the U.S. midterm elections and what it could mean for the economy and our nation. What can the markets learn from the spectacular collapse of crypto platform FTX once valued at 32 billion and which filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy on november the 11th we look at that and the future for the crypto markets amidst the resignation of the CEO at FTX Dick Bove says the US economy has now accelerated the process of reducing The rate of inflation and he'll explain it to us. We'll also turn our attention to the war in Ukraine and where it puts Russian President Vladimir Putin, Dick Bove will also have some investment ideas. I'm with Dick, Chief Financial Strategist at Odian Capital Group, and Matt van Alstein, Odeon Co-Founder and Managing Partner. We'll be right back after this message.
0: Current and future holdings are subject to risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Securities identified do not represent all of the securities purchased, sold, or recommended to clients. The views and opinions expressed by the Odeon Capital Group speaker are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions and Odeon Capital Group disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice, and because investment decisions are based on numerous factors, may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any Odeon Capital Group product. Neither Odeon Capital Group nor the speakers can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.
1: Dick and Matt, welcome back for episode 43. Last week we were talking about the midterm elections, and um, I recall how we were talking about gridlock with the results you were expecting, Dick, you said maybe a slim majority in the House and we weren't sure about the Senate, but a lot of the pundits went the other direction. Everybody was expecting this big red wave. It never materialized. But I guess the bigger question is, uh, what does this mean for markets and and maybe your overall take on the midterms?
2: Well, I, I think actually, um, you know, without trying to be political, that the uh, election was was very very positive it was positive in the sense that uh the american public uh in the middle seemed to exert their power uh, as opposed to the the extremists on whether it's the the right or the left uh it would seem to me that what we saw was uh, a return to uh if you will the, the american public's core beliefs which is that we should have a moderate government that we should not go to the extreme on any particular issue. I think uh, it, it, it not only made me feel encouraged, but I think that uh, foreign nations were encouraged by what they saw because it seemed to me that America is back. Now, I happen to like the fact that uh, the Republicans mm-hmm. are gonna have, I, I would assume they have the house, that the Republicans are gonna have one house and the Democrats are gonna have the other. Because I don't like extremist bills coming out of Washington. And it's unlikely given this structure that we'll have uh, extreme bills coming out of Washington. I think uh, that I'm a big believer that gridlock is more positive than having a a very strong view one way of the other. So I I like the, I like the results of the election. I thought they were positive for the markets. uh, Although I think inflation is a far bigger issue. But the point is, uh, I think the election came out really well.
3: Yeah, I mean I, I think the the only thing that's consistent about these election results every every 2 years or every 4 years is how wrong the pollsters are and how wrong the media is and you know everything Dick said was right but he 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 was just representing his own view. I think I think the frustration from my perspective is we get guided and this is this is probably a frustration over everything including you know COVID and Ukraine and how we leave Afghanistan like the media and the government kind of comes together to kind of build up an expectation that you kind of think that's going to happen. Like I expected a red wave, not because I know anything about, um, you know, politics or having a view of who was going to win, but because the so-called experts predicted a red wave. They said, you know, this might be the highest number of Republican representatives in, in the house and the Senate and since reconstruction and it didn't happen. And I think that feeds at least on the conspiratorial side of things, an unease that maybe something's afoot, and I, I just wish that wouldn't happen. You know, I talk about a lot about how I wish the government worked properly, and how you know we 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 don't have leadership, and we don't have people who are forward thinking. I think it flows through to media, in the sense that if we're going to have a close election like we just had, it would have been nice for the media to say we don't know what's going to happen, rather than basically come yeah. out confidently. And say, oh, where well, there's going to be a red wave. Then when it doesn't happen, it feeds into, you know, conspiracy nut jobs views. And I, I just don't like that. The other thing that I really um, don't appreciate from the media, since I'm, since I'm ragging on them so much, is that the, they say things with such confidence. And then when it doesn't happen, they act like, you know, they were the victims as well. And, and they go and blame the pollsters. And the truth is, the pollsters. I don't know if they don't know what they're doing and I, I get it that this is the first time that the 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 polls have been wrong you know towards the Democrats and that the Democrats outperformed I think the polls by seven or eight points and in, in competitive races but prior to that it was Republicans and so now now they're wrong to the other side so this 2024 election I think we just all need to remember don't believe anything you hear because something else is going to happen I would say the one area where the pollsters were most wrong. And I think it seems like the area where the Republicans got most surprised was election deniers or the so-called truthers or the so-called people that think, you know, Donald Trump won the 2020 election from my understanding, those are the Republicans that really got there. You know, really, really lost bad. And, and I think in some ways that's good for America. The election denialism is, is not a trait that is rewarded by the, at the ballot box polling has, has
1: some structural flaws in the last decade or so just because the way technology has moved. I mean a lot of it has still been done by landlines and who has landlines anymore. So so that skews some of it. And the other thing is um interestingly enough, the, the Republicans picked up five million more votes, the overall vote they, they won in the popular vote. So it, it's hard to know. And they also picked up a lot of extra seats in you know, in New York and and some other areas which were deep blue states.
2: Well, I think, you know, you're right about the uh, structural problem because it's been, uh, I've, I've read pieces in which uh, it, it's been indicated that uh, those people who are most likely to respond to a pollster tend to be well-educated and wealthy, uh, whereas people who are not well-educated and wealthy tend not to respond to pollsters. So the pollsters don't seem to be getting, you know, a true picture of the U.S., uh, if you will, uh, electorate. They're getting a picture of people who respond to them, which apparently is not the uh, total U.S. electorate. But, you know, again, uh, I, I don't like government, um, you know, interfering in the economy. I believe strongly that one should rely on what occurs in the economy to drive the situation. And uh, I think it's very good that the Republicans picked up more votes, uh, because it wasn't the right-wingers that got the votes. It was the centrist Republicans. And I think if you get the centrist Republicans working with the centrist Democrats, you can do things in government which will be productive. I would expect that they are going to open up these pipelines now. I I, I would expect there will be an understanding that uh, there's got to be more incentive for manufacturing in the United States. I I, I think there's an understanding that there's got to be more spending on defense. I think all of these themes which are required, are are likely to be there more so than impeaching this guy, suing that guy, you know, you know, denying this, you know, arguing that. I think we're getting more to the center. And I think that's extremely positive. And I think that's what this uh, election showed.
1: Dick, in terms of then the the House, so uh, McCarthy, we presume, gets the gavel, and uh, the Republican side tends to be more pro-business. They can... Influence the composition of all the committees. Um, They have the bully pulpit. So, will that have what's the overall impact of that? I'm wondering. It's good
2: because, number one, the Democrats have all those powers in the Senate, the Republicans have all those powers in the House. So, neither side can, uh, if you will, bully the other side into a particular point of view. Both sides, if they want to get any legislation done, have got to. come to these conference committees when a bill is passed and come up with a centrist point of view, as opposed to an extreme point of view. I think McCarthy, assuming that he does get the gavel, uh, will have a tough job because essentially he doesn't... And McConnell, when he goes to the Senate and says, you know, I want you to do such and such, the Republicans fall in line and they do it, right? McCarthy yeah. is not gonna be able to go to the Republicans in the House and say, I want you to do such and such because he's he's not trusted throughout the Republican Party. So, So the net effect is he won't have the amount of power that one would assume that a leader would have, you know, the, the way Pelosi had on the Democratic side. So again, I, I kind of like it. I like the fact that people are forced to compromise. They're forced to compromise in the House. They're forced to compromise the House with the, you know, the Senate. They're forced to to to, to stay away from extreme positions in both areas, which I've now said seventeen times. But I, I just think this election was very. Very reinforcing of a very positive view of the American electorate, of the American system, of the way we do things. I I just think this was a great election because there was no winner and there was no loser. And that, that I think is really positive.
1: Well, speaking of polling, um, real quickly, I think it was back in 2016. The pollsters also got it wrong with about Hillary and Trump. They were expecting Hillary to to romp home, and she didn't. So, again, something going wrong in polling in America. It's got to catch up to the new age of social media. I, I'm going to get a little lighthearted here. Maybe we could blame the defeat of for the Republicans or their loss of seats th- that they thought they were going to gain on the CEO at that cryptocurrency exchange. Um, Sam Bankman-Fried, that guy uh, exploded. The whole cryptocurrency exchange uh, went up and that was really big news in the middle of uh, vote counting. I mean, how can we make sense?
2: It, it was not a factor in the election. No, know. no, I
1: know I know that, but I'm just saying how, how do we make sense of what happened? To me, it's just a spectacular um, disaster in many ways.
2: It is, but it's, it's again, it's a really good thing uh, not for the people who lost all that money but it's good because it is going to force again a move to the center you would have to argue that this whole cryptocurrency and i own cryptocurrencies all right this whole cryptocurrency wave you know was was an extreme position as opposed to fiat currencies, you know the dollar, the pound, the euro, the yen, the one, and and you know we were moving away from the centrist, if you will, position in terms of currencies toward the extreme, all right, and a view that the extreme had some sort of solution uh, that the center did not have. That just blew up, all right. Not only did it blow up, but the the reaction to that is going to be, you know, reasonable in my view, regulation coming from the SEC and from central banks, you know, around the world, number one. Number two, the the increase of companies like I'm hoping BNY Mellon will step up and and if you will, start to custody the, these tokens, which are created, which is what the cryptocurrency is, the tokens, right? So th- that they'll start to uh, custody these tokens so that the safety will, will be increased dramatically in the system. They have, BNY Mellon has been looking at it for two years, but they haven't decided to step up and do this. But the point is, again, we moved away with this crisis relapse in, in the cryptocurrency area. I mean, this guy was going to Washington, giving people, you know, advice in Washington. He was, you know, on the, the cover of every magazine. I heard a, a Bloomberg uh, uh, podcast that was done using him as the centerpiece, which which I listened to. It was all wacky stuff, yeah. you know, that was not grounded in safety, rationality. And again, I own cryptocurrency, so I'm not knocking cryptocurrencies. Uh, but but what I, I want is what he did i want this thing to move to the center where it can be regulated where it can be overseen and i think once that happens cryptocurrencies will start to move up in price again this this was not a bad development for the system as a whole it was a horrible development for tom brady i guess and for those people who were you know major investors in in this guy's programs
3: i i have to disagree i think this is bad for everybody and especially people in the regulated part of the world because what what you had with sam bankman freed and you know i obviously the you know the case hasn't been settled he just filed for bankruptcy uh it was obviously a a quick bankruptcy because there's not a lot of details in it because it was a desperation move mm-hmm. and it's really unclear to tell you know if they even knew what they were doing there or if it was you know one of those deeply thought-out criminal enterprises where it was laundering money and, and Ponzi scheme-like. It, it, we're all going to find out. But what you do know is this fellow moved down to the Bahamas to get into the least regulated jurisdiction he can and run his business. And FTX, five to ten days ago, we would have referred to them as the flag bearer, the Goldman Sachs of crypto, the the, the most legitimate... Enterprise that's out there that's involved in the crypto and token space he was being compared to JP Morgan when he went from you know april through through this month of this year where he was the the guy that was showing up to rescue all the other failed crypto exchanges like Celsius he went into rescue he was involved in um in moon he's been involved you know and, and they compared him to JP Morgan before the great depression when when he was out you know rescuing banks. Um, you know, to save the industry. And and Sam Bankman-Fried was out there saying, I'm doing this because I, I need to save the industry and continue the credibility of the industry as a whole. To have him collapse, and not just collapse, but collapse in a way where it reveals the coverage are bare. I mean, we do a lot of bankruptcy trading and bankruptcy investing at Odeon. We, you know, we've started during the distressed era. Our whole thesis is distressed investing. And what distressed investing means you do is you go in, after a company starts like they're looking in trouble and you start looking at their liabilities, you start looking at their assets, you try to rebuild mentally and on paper a picture of what the recovered entity will look like and and what the value of that recovered entity is. And when you look at a company like FTX, their coverage are bare. They got nothing in there. And to the extent they have something, it's, you know, there's so far, we've discovered three different tokens that they utilize, basically by you know creating a, a small float and maintaining the the rest of the tokens on their balance sheet and inflating the value of the small float of the token to then claim that they had you know i think it's close to 9 billion dollars of assets set against the supposed bitcoin that their customers were holding i mean the way it looks is it looks like it's a classic ponzi scheme and i i can't imagine that this is going to help any institutional bank say, oh, I want to custody tokens because what this really reveals is the crypto to this point has been a zero sum game and no one can make money on it without without finding a greater fool or scheming to create inflated value. This is, but to me, this is the equivalent of the Fed failing. This is the equivalent of JP Morgan not having any assets when they could file for bankruptcy and taking down the whole banking industry with them. I mean, when you have your premier firm file for bankruptcy and then you go back and look at all the connections uh, to, to Dick's point, this guy's on the cover of magazines, but it's not like he's on the cover alone. He's on the cover with, with Gary Gensler. I'm I'm a co-owner of a regulated business regulated by Gary Gensler. There's no shot I could get a meeting with him, but Mr. Crypto, who's not regulated, who goes Offshore to hide his regulations because he pours his money around, he gets overlooked by the regulators. And to me, this is a roadmap of if you want to be corrupt, if you want to be shady on Wall Street, if you want to be shady with other people's money, you have a roadmap. Get offshore and donate to the party in power and, and become the largest donor in the country so you can get a meeting anywhere you want while you're sponsoring sports teams, buying up billboards, buying um, you know, stadiums, I mean, this guy was everywhere, buying Tom Brady, buying Giselle. Like, the, the list of celebrities that this guy has not is, is, is impressive. But then go down and look at the list of the, of the politicians. I mean, maybe the lesson is if you see anyone on stage with Bill Clinton, run for your life. But the, I, I, that was a bad joke. The, the idea, though, is that <laughs> he, he, he kind of, in my mind, this is, this is the, the emperor has no clothing why would bank of new york or anyone want to custody tokens when if you were custodying ftt which is the the ftx token that was the largest one behind the um, behind the fraud or if you want to cover solana which they were they weren't the issuer of but they were a big you know sponsor and they they helped inflate the value you know you're just inviting yourself in for litigation because if bny says oh we'll custody your tokens ftt and then it goes to zero in the rapid fashion that this one did bny is opening themselves up to litigation and it would the question would be you know just like sequoia's out there trying as hard as they can to pretend the internet never existed and they never praised this guy is going to be the world's first trillionaire and how impressive he is so impressive that only one zoom call of due diligence got them to write a billion dollar check like it it it, it it's insanity this is this to me is sets the idea of crypto, the industry of crypto, the idea that it could be a regulated entity, the idea that Gary Gensler, who, by the way, when he worked at MIT, his boss was the father of the CEO of Alameda Research, which is the girlfriend of Sam mm-hmm. Bankman-Fried. I mean, the connections are everywhere. And I, if I were anywhere near... Bank of Bank of New York being like, and, and we were working on a crypto project that we thought would we roll out in Q4 or Q1. I would go and cancel that and get a refund and fire everybody because the idea that you want to be involved in crypto after this, I I think you'd have to be crazy. Well, I don't know, but
2: it's gonna stay there. Uh yeah, everything you say is correct. I mean, everything you say is correct. Uh the, the issue is it's now been wiped out uh in that in that particular sector. However, there is real money. Uh, from real large institutions, you know, which mutual funds, you know, the biggest, actually the biggest 200 institutions in the United States, according to what I understand from BNY Mellon, or Bank of New York, um, that are into this thing. And therefore, there is a real desire to create a solid base, you know, around real, real dollars going into real currencies, that uh, could then create, you know, something, a token that could be put into custody. And one of the concepts that that BNY Mellon keeps saying is, if we go into this thing, uh, in essence, it becomes a real industry. If we don't go into this thing, then it isn't. So, I mean, basically, uh, I I think we're moving to the direction where we can take something which was everything you just described, Matt, and, and make it real. Uh, and, and I think that would be a positive step. But again, it's another move to the center. It's another move to the established institutions, established, you know, currencies. And I think similar to what we were saying about what I was saying about, you know, the election, it's, it's positive. It's good. Biden in, in Indonesia is, is good. He didn't make any agreements with China, but he did. He did talk to the guy. Both of these guys are recognizing that Russia apparently is a maverick state and, and China is got a problem supporting that maverick state. So again, another move to the center. We're, we're moving everywhere that I can see toward a more rational operation of our financial system, of our government, of our economic system, all of which I view to be very positive.
1: What Matt was referring to there was that research arm, that's what the allegations are that money was being funneled from the crypto exchange to that research arm and then nobody knows where all this money is but dick doesn't this really set back the crypto industry it makes big investors small investors pause about why would i trust crypto if this darling of the industry on the front covers of magazines and you had to line up to get an interview with him or his ring they've they've collapsed
2: Yeah, well, of course it sets back the industry. That's what we're saying. We're saying that all of the speculation, all of the, you know, wild, uh, if you will, movement of money, all of the extraordinary, uh, if you will, personalities, all that is gone. You know, it doesn't mean that the cryptocurrency industry is gone. It means that the extreme portion of that industry has just been cut off at the knees. What we're now doing is attempting, well, not me, but what is now being done is an attempt to put it on a rational basis because, you know, you can't have, you know, trillions of dollars invested in an industry if there's nothing there. You know, there is something there. And, and now we're going to find out what it is on a rational basis, on a regulated basis, And hopefully we'll have, you know, respected companies coming into the industry to put it on a a rational, if you will, financial basis. But of course,
1: everything is gone. It was done wrong. When you said custody the coins, that's an important um, part of the plumbing of Wall Street. It's like putting into custody other kinds of assets, correct? And so if we evolve into that as an industry, does that put the likes of BNY Mellon or whoever on the hook if there's some kind of a failure? In settlement, or how does it work? I'm just curious here.
2: No, no, custody just means that you're holding the the coins. Mm. You know, if there's a failure in the coins, you don't, you're not hit by it. It's the issue of the coin that's hit by it. But you have the fact that you're willing to lend your name to the fact that uh, you're willing to custody the coins. Is, is what I'm talking about. It means that you have an established institution with a great reputation that, that says, okay, you know, we're willing to hold these coins. But if the, if the particular coin blows up, that's not Bank of New York's, you know, problem. It's the problem of the people who, who issued the coins and the people who own the coins. All, all Bank of New York is doing is sitting in the middle. In funneling funds from one to the other, or handling transactions from one to the other, they're not—they're not taking risk in the coins yeah. themselves.
1: So, sort of, kind of certifying, verifying that those coins exist in reality.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, so the other follow-up is that if we are to make crypto mainstream, do you see a day coming where there'll be some kind of FDIC-style insurance guarantee just to reassure? Any investors out there or consumers that hey gee guys you put a hundred thousand in here you're covered.
2: At this moment in time, you know it'd be crazy to say that, right? Mm. You know, at this moment in time, all you're trying to do is see if there is a core industry that can be salvaged. To say that we're going to go all the way to having the United States government guarantee your investments in these things, I'd say would be a, a crazy leap. It's not. I mean, right now the job is to determine what is real and what is not real in that industry and bringing it down to what's real you know blockchain is real the the movement of funds is real all that stuff is cryptocurrency all right that's real all of the speculative stuff is what is being you know looked at at the present time and and by the way the guy didn't do anything on the surface to say that he took money from customers accounts and invested it in his projects is not illegal every bank does that every bank you you put money in a bank they take your money and they invest it somewhere else if you have uh, excess funds at goldman sachs or morgan stanley sitting in your brokerage account they take that money pay you a small interest rate on it and invest it somewhere else that's not the problem the problem is where he invested it he invested it in his own you know family office and that family office then invested that money in illiquid, uh, high-risk ventures, which blew up. So when those bl- things blew up, the family office blew up, which then it went back to the money that was invested by individuals, and that blew up. So that effect is, it was the investment of these funds into areas where they should never, ever have been invested. Now, as Matt is implying, maybe some of it was done in, in an improper fashion because too many people had interest in it uh, or not. I don't know. But the point is, bottom line is they took liquid funds, put them in an illiquid position. The illiquid position blew up and that ruined the liquid funds.
3: I would hesitate to say that we have any basis for knowing that yet. Um, you know, you have you have the one balance sheet that they released, which is in an Excel spreadsheet. By the way, was not is not exactly a warm and fuzzy way to have a eighteen billion dollar uh, brokerage house maintain their account balances is in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, but but it sure appears that they weren't out there investing and making bad decisions, and those other bad decisions blew up. It appears that what they were doing was funding their own. Tokens that only had the purpose of existing to inflate the value of FTX. It wasn't speculative. Second, when you say it's completely legal, just like Goldman Sachs does, well, Goldman Sachs is not exactly the best example because they're barely a real bank. But in real banks, um, and I say barely a real bank in that they don't take you know, massive amount of customer deposits and have branches all over the United States and and specialize in, you know, loans to the community and yada, yada, yada. I know they're a real bank in the sense that they are regulated by the Federal Reserve. Well, but they're fra- also one of the 20th largest banks in the United States. Sure, but fractional reserve lending and fractional reserve banking is heavily regulated. There are rules about how much cash you have to keep, what type of quality assets that you're allowed to invest in with, with your depositors' money to enable that you you're qualified for the FDIC insurance which guarantees the depositors money if by God forbid the bank makes a mistake and invests in something that that goes so so sideways that they can't reach we pay their depositors and if you don't invest in things that are qualified the FDIC will take you over and shut you down and take away your equity like this guy was out in the Bahamas. He wasn't sitting in Florida. He wasn't sitting in the United States of America. He was sitting in a place where the FDIC was not doing that. He never once to his people, to his clients that were holding their funds, they, they believed they were holding their funds at FTX, said to them, Hey, by the way, I'm operating this like a bank. People who were customers of FTX thought that what was happening was you're taking your Bitcoin that you bought from wherever, and the way Bitcoin works is you can store it. Just like the way US dollars work, you can store it wherever you want. You can store your Bitcoin on a fob on in, your, in a safe in your house and keep it off the net. And you can have cold storage of your Bitcoin, just like you can take your US dollars and put them into your mattress and you don't have to use a bank. But when people took their Bitcoin to FTX, the impression they had was, I'm giving you my Bitcoin. FTX is taking your Bitcoin and putting it in an envelope with your name on it and sticking it on a shelf. And when you come back to get your Bitcoin, it's still there. They never said to people, "By the way, we're going to take your Bitcoin, monetize it, um, use the monetization of it to then fund my side. You know, my my family office's hedge fund. And with the family office's hedge fund, I'm going to make investments and donations and become a a rock star, and then. If you come and ask for your Bitcoin, well, I'm secretly using the you know the fractional reserve lending idea so that I'll always have enough Bitcoin to give back to you. But if all of my customers come and ask for my Bitcoin at the exact same moment in time, I don't have enough to give it back. I think that would be an eye-opening lesson for anyone who put their Bitcoin there. And Coinbase, if you've been following Brian Armstrong, he's out there saying, No, 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 this is exactly what Coinbase does. We take your Bitcoin and we keep it in your name and we don't touch it and we put it in a vault. So when you come and get your Bitcoin, it's still there. So I I, I don't think it's fair to say, one, I think it's early and premature to say that we know that what he was doing was legal. But two, it sure, on the surface to me, looks like it's the opposite of legal because he was basically, in my mind, it looks like committing fraud. He was presenting to the public that he was a safe place to store your crypto assets, which I think the word asset now might be subjective, but... But he was presenting himself as a place to a safe place to store your assets. He wasn't telling you he was lending it out and taking bets on the side and and hunting um, for for higher yield. I, I, I mean, there there were tea leaves you could read and there was ways you could figure it out. But that was not his presentation. His presentation was, "I am the safest place to store your Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency in the entire world." And it turns out he was lying.
2: Yeah, but the point is, you're saying exactly what I'm saying. All right. In other words, you're saying that. He took a system which is in place and he corrupted it, all right? But the point is, when you put your money into J.P. Morgan, they don't tell you we're going to take your money and invest it somewhere else, all right? He didn't tell you that either, right? So the point is, both of them were doing the same thing. The question is where they invested it. And he was able to do whatever he wanted with it. J.P. Morgan is not able to do whatever they want with it. J.P. Morgan is regulated He's not regulated. And yeah, that's but that's the difference. And, well, and, and, of course, and, it's the difference. That's what was wiped out. That's what I'm talking about. That system is what was wiped out. Yeah. What they're trying to put in place is something which is like J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs, which, by the way, is one of the biggest banks in America.
3: I wasn't trying to trust them as a bank. I just, yeah. you know I don't see their branches on my on my drive to work. That's yeah, well, all. that's the
2: whole concept that they don't want
3: to put branches. Uh,
2: but anyway, the point, the the bottom line point is. What we're talking about is going from a totally unregulated situation where people can do whatever they choose to what could be a regulated situation with a true custody ownership, uh, not ownership, but holding position. If we move from point A, which you've described very correctly, very beautifully, to point B – which is what i think we're going to move towards over the next couple of years when this thing gets sorted out then i think you know bitcoin or other tokens are going to have an opportunity to perform a function in the movement of funds from point a to point point y to point z all right in other words they they, this blockchain system works it makes sense all right the movement of funds through blockchain works and that makes sense What doesn't work and what doesn't make sense? Everything you just described, which was correct.
1: So, what you're saying, Dick, is that we should we move on from here and crypto will learn its lesson? We hope.
3: Oh, hold on! I I do want to say one thing. I agree that we hopefully do move on from here because this shouldn't be the end. But Dick says this proved blockchain chain works, and I I do. I I think we're going to find out. I I really. I, I think that that's still to be determined, because. Blockchain, the the pitch, and this is part of my frustration with the pitch, is that oh, if you do it on the blockchain, you can kind of operate outside of you know the the legal system and it works, settlement works faster and and um it's it's on an open ledger and and, and everything works you know the way it's supposed to, except that's belied by what happens because when any any crypto hack happens, a lot of it it's very a lot of times most of the times it's almost un- impossible to unwind you have no you have no protection because the blockchain works so quickly it, it's unclear if this is true or not but a lot of newspapers have been reporting it including the new york times that post bankruptcy filing over 650 million dollars of bitcoin on the ledger has been stolen slash hacked slash removed from ftx because the employees there that have the the, the keys and the and various people who, who have access or hackers who had access, they can go in and they're literally stealing the money. If this were a bank and they filed for bankruptcy, there would be checks and balances before someone was able to take $650 million out. FTX, post-bankruptcy, they're still bleeding crypto at this moment because there is no regulation, because there is no protection. Well, yeah,
2: but that's what we're saying, all right? I mean, J.P. Morgan uses blockchain, right? You know, J.P. Morgan, you couldn't find a company more anti crypto, than than Jamie Dimon is right. But his firm yeah. uses blockchain. Yeah. Right? So if JP Morgan can use blockchain, BNY Mellon can use blockchain, you know, it does work for, for the movement of funds. Uh, the, You know, the fact that you don't like the non regulated portion of it, I agree with. And that's what blew up. And that's what's going to go away. That doesn't mean to say the things that work are going to go away. Also, and to this point, blockchain has not proven to be something which which does not work in terms of the movement of funds.
1: Blockchain and crypto and Bitcoin, they're all tied at the hip, but blockchain is the, the underlying technology that drives Bitcoin.
2: It's not the underlying technology for Bitcoin. It's the underlying ability to move the, if you will, currency from one place to the other. But you can do that with your payment, of your mortgage you of know, course that can be that yeah. can be done in the same fashion and that's yeah. what companies are experimenting with that are legitimate and they're regulated you know the fact that there are unregulated companies that took advantage of a situation is you know terrible
1: they were right. hacked last friday
2: yeah but it's going to be for it's 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 in the process now of being
1: fixed we'll come back to it but um gotta tell you he had a memorable hairdo i mean the guy was Quite a, quite a character, and he was the darling of the media. And there was a headline yesterday. I forget. I know, but
2: if you listen to him talk, he was not. If you listen to this guy, which I did on this one-hour podcast at Bloomberg, you know, I would say this is the most ridiculous baloney I've ever heard. All right, which yeah. I did say, and I wrote a a, a note to Bloomberg indicating that mm. it was ridiculous baloney. All right. So the, the point is, you can't. You can't throw out every well, what's the expression the baby the the baby with the you you can't throw out everything because we know that there was a massive amount of inappropriate things done, you know, using the same system.
1: Also a little bit of hubris. This guy uh, was quite a volatile character and quite arrogant according to reports on various meetings he had with regulators and effing and blinding and we never use the f word on this
3: podcast
2: the point is we're interested in the stock market we're interested in stocks, and it didn't affect the stock market or stocks right? exactly I, I
3: think i think if it did affect the stock market um, it, it's positive because it, it should take all the i don't know what you call them the punters the speculators they're out there playing in crypto and be like okay if i own stocks at the end of the day i'll probably still own my stocks whereas if i own crypto well sam might have it now
2: no <laughs> well, you're right you're right you're right I right, you
1: didn't right. you weren't invested in FTX I hope can you tell us oh, no, right, <laughs> in FTX. well you have a great note out um, this morning on uh, some positive news it seems on inflation and you headline it inflation is dying Most indicators suggest it is about to come down rapidly, in your own words. And kudos to you, Dick, because you called it early. You were talking about runaway inflation this year, and now it's starting to ease. And one of the interesting data points that you had come out with, which always struck in my mind, was that inflation was just gone gangbusters. And at one point, it appeared in the U.S. system, money was growing 10 times faster than physical output as it were but so inflation is coming down
2: well yeah i mean basically as you know because you did a podcast with me in march of 2021 in which you know it, i indicated that inflation was out of control uh and also you know on these podcasts you know when the june numbers were published in july you know we came out and said that inflation had peaked right it's on these podcasts and it's on the stuff that i wrote Written and sent to customers. Uh, but what if you take exactly the point that you made, all right, that, you know, when we were saying inflation was out of control, basically it was because money was growing at a faster rate than economic output. Right now money is decreasing. In other words, if you take the M2 numbers published by the United States government uh, or by the Federal Reserve, it shows that the money supply of the United States is going down. Well, the output of the United States is not going down. So if you believe that excessive money creation, for a whole bunch of other reasons, is what caused the inflation in the first place, you got to believe when the money supply isn't even growing as fast as the economy, that inflation will be killed. It will die. And I think that, uh, you know, the numbers that we've seen since June, since the June numbers, June, you know, the CPI was at 9.1%. And every month since then, it's come down. And, and on this podcast, we said that that is what would happen. Uh, you know, and now I think it's become evident that the, um, acceleration of the decrease in inflation is underway because if you take a look at the 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 federal deficit it's come down it, w- it was four and a quarter trillion on a, on a seasonally adjusted basis a couple of years ago it's six hundred billion right now massive decrease the Fed is not buying printing money to buy to buy treasuries they're selling treasuries the tre- the Fed has fewer treasuries now than it had a few months ago the um, money supply as I mentioned to you is coming down it's not it's not growing 10 times faster than the economy It's growing as fast as the economy. If you take a look at the uh, commodity prices, they're coming down. If you take a look at the PPI, it's slowing up. If you take a look at the consumer price index, you know, it's backward looking as we've discussed often, but once it starts to catch up to what's going on in the real world, the biggest component of the CPI, which is home ownership is going to come down Uh, In in other words, you know, it's the prices of houses are coming down, rents are going to come down, food prices are already coming down in multiple areas, the price of beef is coming down, the price of milk has come down, the price of uh, cereals are no longer going up. If you take a look at the energy situation, I'm convinced that, you know, we are not going to continue to burn coal. We're going to open up the uh, the the drilling and we're going to open up the pipelines. So I think that energy prices are off the hook. We no longer are worried about uh, Europe not having enough energy for this winter and for next winter. You know, as they stored up enough energy for this winter and next winter, all of the elements that you would look at, Mm -hmm. which would say inflation is here, it's going to stay a long time, are gone. And the only thing which is still available is the money outside of the banking system. We don't know what's happening there. But the explosion, again, of FTX would say that a lot of that money is gone also. So I don't think the issue going forward is inflation. I think the issue is recession and how do we prevent it from being a meaningful recession. Uh, And I think we have the tools to do that.
1: The negative case on inflation is that it will take years to get inflation to drop to 2%.
2: Yeah, why? There's got to be a reason why. In other words, is, is it because money supply is going to explode again? Is it because the government deficit is going to explode again? Is it because the supply chain problems are going to co- reoccur? Is it because we're going to see a major uh, fa- failure to provide energy to Europe? Is it going to be because the supply chains have all locked up? You know, there's got to be a reason. People just can't say, well, it's going to take three years to get it down to 2% and, and then walk away without giving you any reasons for it. What are the reasons that they're giving to say that that's the case? What I'm saying to you is that all of the reasons that we're looking at have moved in the opposite direction, which would mean if it was going to take five years to get to 2%, it's going to take two and a half years to get to 2%. We've accelerated the process of reducing the rate of inflation, and we're going to see it clearly in every one of the numbers that we're going to get over the next few months.
1: And your expectation, Dick, is the Fed will continue to tighten, and you've changed your view on the recession risks. It's likely to be moderate. You just spoke about it just a moment ago
2: yeah, I was saying initially, I, I thought it would be moderate. Then I lost my uh, cool and I started to say maybe it's going to be more more <laughs> severe. I've now gone back to it's going to be moderate uh, because I think uh, there there is enough money around. There is enough need for manufacturing, for natural resources. I'm going to throw food in into that equation and defense that that we 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 have a need for all of these things and we'll be able to. Allow them to to grow should mean that the recession uh, should be short and and, and not terribly painful. Um, so uh, that 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 is a change in the view uh, because I should never have changed
1: in the first place. Yeah. Bert Dent. He's a senior U.S. economist at Nomura, and he was former Fed Reserve Bank of New York analyst. Sees unemployment rising to six point four percent within eighteen months.
2: Unemployment is going to go up. I mean, we, we talked about that last week. We went through the jo- job numbers very clearly. You know, when productivity comes down, you know, for a couple of years, which it has been, when, you know, the uh, growth in wages is less than the growth in inflation, when, you know, the uh, number of hours worked are the lowest that they've been in a couple of years, that tells you that there are too many employees in the companies and they're going to be fired. Uh, you know, and basically, you know, we saw Amazon, Meta, and other high-profile companies, you know, laying off ten thousand people from yeah. Amazon, eleven thousand people from Meta. Unemployment yeah. is going to go up. There's no question about it. But you know, we've got this uh, this bill, which is going to put a trillion dollars into building roadways and bridges and tunnels and all the stuff that needs to be built. We've got this need. To build, you know, television. I'd like to use this example constantly. To build a television in the United States, not somewhere else. We have this need to get uh, drilling going again, and to build our energy resources to restock. You know, the the uh, the government supply. We have all of these needs, which we have the ability to fulfill. Which means that you know we've got to start thinking. Well, because I'm one of the biggest Cassandras out there, I think we've got to start thinking more positively because I think we're turning. We're turning in the right direction. And if, you know, Russia blew it in the Ukraine, uh, if they blew it in the Ukraine, all these people who were supporting Russia have got to rethink their their support of Russia, and that's going to be positive for us also. So there's a, there is, if you will, in the baby basket, you know, in the embryo, we have all this good stuff that can now happen. And I'm I'm, I'm really hopeful that the recession is short and sweet and we start moving on the stuff that can really benefit us.
3: I, I hope you're right on the recession. I, I, My instinct, given your macro calls over the last couple of years, is that you probably are because you, you've gotten the macro economy pretty, pretty well. You're calling inflation long before anyone else. You called the peak of inflation, I think. In my memory, the day before the CPI peaked, mm. um, and 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 it would be folly to think that you're you're going to be wrong coming up. And I I agree. You know, I, I think we've outlined where we disagree. I think there's some disagreements on the way Ukraine's going in and, and whatnot. But I agree that Biden and G getting together. I mean, what a what a good thing for the world to have them sit in a room, have a personal relationship, meet eye to eye, agree not to have, you know be. To want a cold war and and to try to work together, you know that, that's great, and I wish we could see more of that between our world leaders. So, I I, I hope you're right. Uh, it everyone has a bias a recency bias, and it sure feels like inflation is sticky. And I I I hope you're right.
1: Yeah, no, uh, correct on that one. You've you've made a lot of great calls. That's I was always fascinated by your analysis of the inflation and how it grew. Nobody no, nobody was talking about it in 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 smart conversation on on media. So where we're at in Ukraine right now, Dick, in, in terms of markets, let's say, and geopolitically, where are we at? It seems to be taking a really interesting positive turn.
2: Yeah, well, what, what I don't understand at the moment is what is Russia going to do? In, in other words, you know, apparently the, the, there have been forces, uh, economic or maybe internal or what have you. Uh, which is causing Russia to uh, lose its focus in, in terms of what's going on there, because you know I still believe Russia had. I mean, I, I heard yesterday on the news that a hundred thousand Ukrainians died uh, so far in this war. They don't have enough people to continue to do that. Russia does, uh, and and you know Russia does have the more money than the Ukraine. Russia does have the ability to build all of this weaponry again. Uh, so what what are they going to do? I don't know. I mean, we're sitting here. This this Kherson thing is extremely important. And and I like to go back to history all the time, but kind of in, in caps, encapsulating the issue. The Russians owned the Ukraine, right? And this guy Catherine, well Catherine the Great and Potemkin decided they want to take over the Crimea. So they built a city called Kherson which would allow them to uh, stage their, uh, if you will, military, and to, uh, you know, the Black Sea was close enough to build their navy to to attack Turkey to get the Crimea back, right? And it worked, because they they controlled the staging point, they controlled the, the entry to Crimea, right? Now, you know, the Russians took it over and they thought that they had locked up the area so that the, the Ukrainians couldn't get back into it, and Ukraine has now taken it. And so they now have the key to get back into the Crimea. So is is Russia simply gonna sit there and let one negative thing after another happen? I think they've been dissuaded from talking nuclear by their allies. Uh I, I what what are they gonna do here? I I just don't have a clue, and, and it's really making me wonder, because they, they're getting their butt kicked right now, and, and the whole world knows it, and I don't think they can live with it.
1: Russia is essentially a mafia-run type of state, the economy. I mean, one report is that Putin is surrounded by 20 strong men who, essentially, between them, they run the economy. Right. The charge of different sectors. And when Putin's gone, one of those may emerge as the new Putin. But it's so difficult to tell where all of this is headed.
2: Yeah, well, you know, what you said is exactly correct. And, And what you could say is that was true when Alexander Nevsky was there when Rurik came out of Sweden and conquered Russia, you know, the Vikings conquered it and populated it. It was true under Ivan the Terrible. It was true under Peter the Great. It was true under Catherine the Great. It was true under Stalin. It was under Lenin. It was true under Stalin and it's true under Putin. The The, the method of running that government has never changed for over a thousand years and it's not gonna change tomorrow, which is why I continue to wonder What are they going to do? Because they can't continue to be denigrated. I mean, this group of 20 is going to put out a statement, apparently, which is going to denigrate them. They cannot continue to be denigrated by the whole world. They cannot have their allies start to walk away from them because they've proven to be too weak. What are they going to do? And that's the the thing that I don't understand, um, because these 20 oligarchs, you know, I'm not going to live with what's happening now. Putin can't live with what's happening now. They have got to react. I don't know if they simply walk away from Ukraine, they're finished for a decade. Well,
3: I, I feel like there's an in-between that, that, you know, is is more of a natural landing spot than the two extremes I think you just described. And I think it's kind of going back to where things were in, 20 you know, starting in 2014, where Russia has a presence in the East, um, you know, not as far as Kherson, and they kind of stay there like they have for the last eight years because they've been there for eight years and it wasn't a problem until, you know, they went deeper and trying to take Kiev in in February of this year, but they, you know, and they've been in Crimea for a long time as well. So I think there's an in-between where they don't ever announce that they've quit. Don't ever have some armistice. Don't ever have some treaty, but they just kind of go back to where everything is, was before the the deeper invasion and wait and see what happens and maybe build up their arm and arms maybe you know build up their their cash and and fight a political battle but i feel i feel like there's an in-between that doesn't require russian humiliation or a massive russian es- escalation
2: yeah i mean you could be right i i have no idea what they're going to do with this do is that, and, and maybe that's doing something doing something is doing is is taking no action right but um so, so you could be a 1,000% right. I, I have no idea.
1: It's amazing to think there were reports that at one point long ago that um, Putin had been, been touting this idea of Russia joining NATO. I mean, it was actually a realistic proposition. Would that have gone anywhere? Who knows? But And Putin kind of was talking about how Russia saw itself as more European than its former self. But there's so many unknowns.
3: I don't think that it wasn't reports. I mean, he publicly floated the idea because his view was Russia was now, you know, not on the other side of the Iron Curtain. And I, I believe it was obviously self serving because he was labeling um, NATO's new, you know, mission as being anti um, Islamic terrorism. And he was linking that to the war he was fighting in Chechnya and thinking, hey, if our enemy is a common enemy, which is terrorism, let's join NATO. Um, obviously, it never went anywhere. And it, it probably wasn't a realistic idea, but it wasn't just reports. He was publicly floating the idea that, that you know, the modern world should unite against terrorism and NATO should be the vehicle to do it. Dick, uh, investment
1: ideas given all we've been discussing, um the elections, FTX, where inflation is going, and the geopolitical environment.
2: You know, I'm going to reinforce what I said on the very first podcast. I mean, basically... We, we need energy, right? We need energy. So if we need energy, then investing in uh, oil companies makes, well, it has been a tremendous investment all year, but I mean, it's going to continue to be. We need to rebuild our defense stocks. You know, there, there's been, an, well, The Economist magazine again, just last week, talking about the fact that uh, we have to rebuild our defense, uh, you know, uh, if you will, apparatus. So defense companies make a lot of sense. We need, uh, and, and again, uh, everybody now seems to recognize this. It's happening in the market already. We need to build the manufacturing capability of the United States to to, to make ourselves invulnerable to someone cutting off our supply, so you know manufacturing is, is going to be important. And the other thing that is is evident, uh, particularly when we talk about the Ukrainian grain deals, uh, and whether Russia is going to extend it or not, which apparently it is. Uh, there, there is uh, you know supposedly one quarter. Of the people on this planet that don't have enough food to continue to, to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need food production. So the basics, the basics, not, you know, stuff related to technology that makes it easier to have to use my example, better earphones at Apple. That's not where you want your money. You don't want your money in in technology, which is going to improve, you know, the number of viewers that Disney or, or Netflix has. You don't want your money in consumer goods that, uh, I mean, apparel prices are dropping, right? You know, you don't want your money in, in that, that type of operation. You want your money in food production, manufacturing, defense production, natural resources, no, notably energy production. That's where you put your money, and again, that's all funded by banks, which means that I think that the banks are very attractive uh, in that in that same mode. But you got to get through the recession uh, before you start to make real money. But that's where that's where you should be going
1: with your money. We've run out of time, Dick and Matt. A, a great episode, episode forty three, and we'll be back next week for episode 44 a quick program note uh, on this thursday at 11 a.m eastern time that's new york time we'll be doing a live stream with the hosts of Geek geezers and googleization dick matt and myself and ira wolf and jason cochran we'll talk about jobs money and markets you can just log on there and it's part two because we did one several months ago we made great reaction so we're looking forward to that take care
0: Current and future holdings are subject to risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Securities identified do not represent all of the securities purchased, sold, or recommended to clients. The views and opinions expressed by the Odeon Capital Group speaker are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions and Odeon Capital Group disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice and because investment decisions are based on numerous factors may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any Odeon Capital Group product. Neither Odeon Capital Group nor the speakers can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.